Hello, and welcome to another episode of Goddess of Crypto. With me, I have my friend Maru, who goes by Maru Mover online. And she and I were lucky enough to meet in real life, IRL, at an event in Miami. Maru is a really special woman in the crypto space. She's like at the forefront of evangelizing the crypto space, but in real deep technology in Miami, which means as far as I'm concerned, she's at the forefront of the best crypto space in the United States because Miami is really in the middle of it, in the thick of it. The sacred divine feminine is creative, abundant, flowing, receiving, and disruptive. And the new energy of money, including cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, and even the metaverse is all these things too. Welcome to the Goddess of Crypto, a weekly show where women who are already in this powerful space will cover these topics simply so you can relax into knowing that the future of finance is female. So Maru, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here as well. So tell us how you got started in crypto, uh, where you came from, what caused you to get involved. And I'd love to know also how long you've been in Miami. Yeah. So I'm originally from Ecuador and I've been in Miami for over 10 years. I've lived in different parts of the United States and abroad, but Miami really is my base where I spend the most time. I originally got into crypto when in 2015 when I was living in New York City. And that was my introduction and exposure to what is Bitcoin and what is crypto. And my story is simple. I came for the money, but I stayed for the tech. To me, at the time, I had a lot of restrictions in where I could invest my money because of the responsibilities that I had. I was working for PwC with major companies and in the sectors that I wanted to invest in, I was involved in. So I could not invest in those sectors. And so I looked for an alternative measure of investment and I found Bitcoin. So that's how I got started. But really, it was through my relationship with the Ethereum community that I developed an interest in the technology more. And I started to create and build. This was back in like 2017 when I first started to go really deep down the rabbit hole. Uh, (laughs) And I haven't looked back since. Oh, that's remarkable. And so you went in really early on. What was it about, you said you came for the the money and you stayed for the tech, but at that time, it feels like it was so peripheral. You know, Ethereum was probably trading at, I don't know, under a dollar then, right? So what was the reason that you were called into it? Like, what made you feel like, hey, this is the future? Well, it was already, I had heard about Bitcoin years before I was working in the corporate sector. At the time, it was only associated with nefarious activities. So I dismissed it. I didn't really evaluate it further. But then around 2015, I started to get a lot more interest because working in with PwC, there were multiple accounting firms that were starting to evaluate blockchain as a solution, auditing purposes and transparency, and kept mentioning it. And I wanted to know more. So that's how my interest increased and I decided to look into it. And the returns on investment, even though it was not as extreme as you would see in the very beginning in 2012, 2013, there was still a return that was more 
significant than what you would get in a traditional bank account or in a traditional portfolio. So I started small. I started with what I felt comfortable with until I learned more about the tech and I saw the potential and what it could mean for so many industries that I got very excited. And then I increased my investment amount at that point. So talk about that for a minute. What do you feel like some of the most exciting opportunities are and the most exciting things are that are going to change in the industries because of Bitcoin or because of crypto in general or Ethereum, whatever it is that, you know, excites you the most? There's multiple things that excite me. I feel like Bitcoin allows you to have a lot of control over your finances and you don't have to rely so much on third parties to maintain and monitor. And you have the flexibility to be your own bank. You often hear this and it's true. With your Bitcoin or with your cryptocurrency, you can leverage it in a way that you can use it for where our traditional banking services like getting a loan or getting, you know, or reinvesting into other purposes. I think that that's something that is really going to continue a trend that people are going to be excited about the power of having control over their finances, where they're not limited, where they're not at the mercy of government, when they're not at the mercy of banks that have been reputable for doing just as nefarious activities as Bitcoin has been associated with, if not more. And in the past, they have let those things pass. But through the evolution of like oversight and governance in the banking space as well, I think that there's still a lot of risks with trusting banks with your money. And I love being able to have control over my money and what I do with it. And And I think that's very powerful. In the technology side, I feel like decentralized technology is something that is needed desperately. We become so dependent on large entities to control all aspects of your life, like media or any decision making that can be, you know, about your personality, your identity online. That's a scary subject to me. So if we built with the intention that not one single entity can be a single point of failure, can be overall controlling everything. That's how we should be thinking because the power should not be in the hands of a few, but of the many. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that in general, the whole crypto community tends to be very by the people for the people. And I think that's really good, but in the truest sense of the word, because of the fact that so much of it is cutting out the middleman, it means that you actually can see, you know, the transparency of the transactions in, as we're filming, it's just been a couple of days since it was announced that this, like the biggest Bitcoin heist ever of like multiple millions of dollars has just been recovered some couple had stolen it in like 2016. And they've been trying to launder the money ever since. But Bitcoin's gone up so much in value over that period of time. They've had a heck of a time. They've managed to launder approximately 10% of it before they were caught. And I find that really fascinating. It's, you know, as you keep saying, you know, about like nefarious people. And, you know, we heard about Silk Road and all the ugly like web stuff that was being traded using cryptocurrency back before that was shut down. But in general, what I'm seeing is Bitcoin's really hard to steal, like super hard to steal. It's so transparent. And in general, just crypto is hard to steal. 
because the transactions are so transparent. Like I had a transaction problem recently and I went on to a, you know, they said, well, go to the transaction explorer. And I looked and it was like every freaking thing you would ever want to know about the transaction was contained in a single page. And when I sent it to the company, they were like, oh yeah, well, here's what happened and here's the problem and here's how we'll fix it. Okay, that's it. And it was done. And that was so beautiful to me. I mean, just trying to make a transaction at a bank can take you hours, let alone trying to then trace that transaction later in case there was a problem. And I certainly agree with you about what you said about the banks. You know, like there's been all this uproar about crypto being, you know, mining crypto, how it's like utilizing so much energy. But then there's this other thing, like sort of this whisper, hey, do you know how much energy the banks are using just to do their daily transactions? And it's a lot. In fact, what I've heard is it outstrips crypto by a lot as well. I don't know that I can particularly prove that, but that is what I've heard from folks. Just a couple of points on that. It's not a Bitcoin hack. It was an exchange hack. Bitcoin has never been hacked to date. The amount and that you're referring to was from an exchange that was functioning back in 2016. And they were able to recover those funds because the hackers decided to store their private keys online where they can be easily accessible. Hang on, let's back up for a second. So yes, thank you for the clarification. Super important. I did not mean to imply that Bitcoin had been hacked rather than that it had been stolen. However, explain to people what a key is, because I don't think I've done that for these episodes. Please, if you can just give like a layperson explanation. So... When you create your first wallet, if you've never done so, the, one of the first steps that they ask you to is to write down your seed phrase. Your seed phrase are what they call private keys. This is the key that only you have to the safe box of data that you are acquiring. This is not a key that is meant to be shared. And it's usually recommended that you don't store it online because online can be searchable. So most people usually write it down on a piece of paper and then store it somewhere. Some people have more technical hardware tools to store the seed phrase because it's that valuable. Because if I were to acquire your seed phrase, your private keys, I could pretend to be you and move all funds to my account. That's why it's very important that you protect your private keys and you never, ever, ever give them to them. Hang on, before you move on, just want to clarify a couple of things just in case. So a wallet is basically just like you'd use a physical wallet to store your cash, use a wallet that looks a lot like a little thumb drive to store your crypto. And that's a wallet that basically you can like, you know, to unplug afterwards and throw in a drawer and now nobody can access it anymore. And when Maru was talking about the seed phrases, it's usually like a 12 words that have nothing to do with each other. And those words create the seed phrases. And it's especially important that you not share that with anybody because of security. I know that in the Bitcoin billionaires book, the Winklevoss twins were keeping their seed phrases, multiple copies, but split. So like six in one bank and six in another bank. And they did it like across four different banks to make sure that nobody was going to be able, like if a bank burned down, they had a backup. And if so, you know, but they had to have each of the two keys. It's funny because they're twins. And so it was fun that they split it and then brought it back together again. But that was very important because they had so much Bitcoin that it would have been really a disaster if somebody had gotten a hold of those private keys. And because they are so high profile, somebody might want to. But people have their keys stolen all the time if they're foolish enough to share it. and 
people lose their keys because they don't do the right things with them. And when that happens, basically the wallet just goes away and that money is what's called burned. It basically means you just can't get it back. And it's not impossible to get back. I just heard about somebody that paid like a chunk of money over because a hacker had been able to recover their seed phrases, but it was very, very, very unusual for that to happen. Okay, yeah, please continue. Exactly. It really depends on the level of encryption use. It could be 12 words, it could be 24 words. And if you think about like the math of like reverse engineering that list that is randomized, it would take a significant amount of time to recover all those words in that exact same order. So be careful with them. And then apart from that, you have your public address, which is the public address that you share with everyone so that people can send you funds to. And this is the one that you search in the browser usually. Like if you want to get a history of the transactions associated with that public address, you can easily do so because that's the benefit of blockchain. That is a transparent public ledger that anyone can tap into. And there are companies that their entire product suite is based around evaluating the relationships between the transactions like Chain Analysis is one of the companies that does that. So that's something that was very useful to me to evaluate and consider because back when I was working for PwC, I was doing a lot of IT audits and that would have helped simplify my audits tremendously had my clients use blockchain at the time, but that was very innovative. That was something that was not going to be adopted in the time that I was there. So I was like, I want to know more. This really interests me. And so that's when I took the dive in and to really understand how the tech works and how what use cases could leverage them. Well, I want you to expand a little bit on what you were saying before, because you were talking about the innovation. And I agree that, you know, back in 2015 or whatever, you know, it was like a lot of people were like, Bitcoin, what? What's that? And it really only has started to come to the fore, I would say, in the last couple of years. I want to know when you think crypto in general is going to go mainstream. Like, when do you think people are just going to see kind of the mass adoption? I believe I read the other day that 14% of users were online using the internet in 1995. 14% of adults. That's not a lot. And yet now it's like, you know, 98% of everybody is online. And that shift happened over a couple of really quick years after 1995. I feel like we're not quite there yet in the crypto space, but we're getting there quickly. So what do you think about that? What do you think the timeframes are going to take? Honestly, I think it's going to vary by country. So back in 2016, I spent a lot of time in Europe and Asia and crypto was more adopted back then. It was in South Korea, like a large, like I would say more than 10 or 15% of the population was already adopting and accepting it as a form of payment which was incredible because we didn't have those metrics in the United States. Unfortunately, the United States, with all the regulatory changes that are going to be happening in the upcoming two years, is still very great. And I think that even though crypto can function independent of the government, it makes a difference when the government aligns themselves to support that. So unlike China and India that have struggled back and forth with the government to adopt it, to have it as a legal tender, to have it as an acceptable method of payment. In Japan, in South Korea, in Switzerland, it has been more accepted and therefore more adopted. Entire cities dedicated to using the technology on their day-to-day. Estonia has implemented digital identity years before it was a thing to be considered and incorporated in blockchain. So they're working towards that. 
Switzerland has done the same for voting mechanisms in Zug. So there's many different places that have been more friendly towards the adoption. And I think that's what's going to impact the overall adoption worldwide. I do think that some technologies are making it easier for people to become acquainted without having to truly understand how everything works. NFTs is one of them. And NFTs have been currently in the past like year or two have been associated exclusively with art, but NFTs can be used for so much more purposes, not just art. And I think that's what's going to get people interested to learn more about the technology and how they can implement it. Mm, That's a really, really good point. So we talked about NFTs a little bit so far on the podcast. So just a reminder for everybody that an NFT is a non-fungible token. And I feel like the easiest way to explain it is that it's something that's a unique asset and it's a digital expression of that unique asset. But what it really is going to mean going forward and the stuff that Maru was talking about that I think is so important is the idea of, of it becoming smart contracts so that you would have a smart contract that allows you to have all of the contract processes on blockchain, again, for the purposes of keeping the contract fully transparent. What that does is it helps to eliminate fraud or certainly reduce fraud other than, you know, there's still the fraud of like the human, like human people trying to scam other human people. I don't know how else to explain that, but the fraud of the technology being able to help support the scam, that gets reduced a lot by the use of blockchain. And so I think that, Maru, you couldn't be any more right. I'm already looking into NFTs for real estate. I am so excited to see how it's going to change really everything from medical records to the way that we interact with the people like with celebrities, with, you know, there's football clubs that are creating their own NFTs. I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that moves forward over the next few years. So in relation to your point about the possibilities of fraudulent activity, what we have to understand is that NFT technology is still very early stage. There's limitations in the infrastructure. And so when we create NFTs in one platform, it does not automatically mean that that item is going to be reflected in other blockchains, in other protocols. And as such, there's still this connected limitation between the protocols. That's what they called the interoperability issue that is still being worked on at the infrastructure level. So it's like one thing doesn't talk to another thing, like German and Spanish aren't the same language, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And so there are opportunities for fraudulent activities because if somebody is watching closely the production of one transaction being built in one blockchain, one protocol, but it's not in the others, they may pretend to be that, to be you, to be the creator in that blockchain in another one and take the credit for it. And there's no policing activity over these kinds of activities. Yet, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because just in general, there's no policing activity. I just read this morning that there is like a hundred million dollars settlement between the SEC and a company that was trying to say that it was a banking transaction and was not subject to the regulations that the bank is. And the SEC is like, no, no, this is actually a securities transaction. And 
So it has all these other rules. And then they ended up fining them like a hundred million dollars, which sounds like a crazy amount of money. But I think that it's pretty typical of what we're going to see as we move forward into regulation, because there's so much money in the crypto space, but it's still the Wild West. And I think that regulation over the next couple of years is going to start to really come into place. But in the meantime, as you said, there's opportunities for so much stuff to fall through the cracks. And I find that really interesting because fortunes are being made in the meantime. It's kind of like the gold rush, you know, a lot of money was made during the gold rush. And then, you know, some people were shot in the back and some people were, you know, left dead by the side of the road because with because somebody stole their gold and then other people you know, really thrived or created a community or created a town or whatever. And that was, you know, like half of America was founded during that period of, well, not half, but a big chunk of America was founded during that time. So I'll be really interested to see what happened. I mean, not to get too down this rabbit hole, but I think that it may shift some of the balance of world power because some third world countries suddenly have access to this material DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and it means that they don't have to go through the regular banking systems. So poor people can be made wealthy very, very quickly. Not everybody necessarily, but it's available. It's very much kind of a a leveling of the playing field. And so I feel like there are, you know, some of the poor countries may say, yes, let's make this adoption faster because it means that we're going to have a seat at the table of this new energy of money. Do you agree with that? I 100% agree with that. Like I mentioned from Ecuador. So I lived through a financial downfall of a currency. Like back when I lived there, we had the Sucre. And due to different factors, the government imposed the US dollar on the population and, you know, setting it at a rate that was convenient for them. So when you feel helpless like that, having lived through that, like you understand what a difference it makes to have control over your money. And that no matter what the government does for the benefit of the country, you still have the power to say, I will participate or not participate with that decision. So as somebody that's lived through something that as an American, I can only read about or imagine, what do you think about what's going on with known as fiat currency? Although I said that word to my mom the other day and she goes, what? What are you talking? What's Fiat's a car? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's because it's not really, I mean, I didn't learn the word Fiat until I started playing in the crypto space. It's simply not a word that we just call it cash, right? We call it dollars. But the accurate phrase to differentiate it from crypto is Fiat. And so what do you think about what we're seeing with the American dollar and what the banks are doing and what the government is doing now? Does that like look like a harbinger to you of what you saw happen in Ecuador? Or do you think that will stave off any big issues? Honestly, it's a scary situation because this is very similar to what it was in Ecuador, from what I remember. The increase in inflation, the limited supplies that are circulating, the fact that a lot of decision-making is being done in the background and it's not being exposed to the people that are subjected to it. I think we need to prepare for the worst, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst is what I say. 
So I don't want to be a Debbie Downer about the situation. I'm very realistic. I'm very pragmatic and really recommend people to educate on themselves on how much inflation has grown in the United States. What were some of the factors that led to that increase? What the Federal Reserve is doing to monitor the situation doesn't seem to be enough from my perspective. And I think that just like I make the suggestion to diversify your portfolio with what assets you hold, you should also make a decision to have more than one currency under your belt. And whether it's fiat and crypto, you should consider doing that. Hmm. Yeah. Now, let's talk about women for just a minute, because this podcast is geared more toward women than men. And yet the crypto space is definitely still like, you know, a bro kind of a space. There's a lot of men in the world and there's the uptake with women is not nearly as great as it is with men. And I think that speaks to, you know, a long legacy of women, you know, not having money or not thinking that, you know, they're educated enough about money because it was withheld from them for so long. But what do you think about women in the space and what are you doing to get more women in the space? I think that the involvement with women is absolutely critical. We are building the future and women are 50% of that representation. And that is not reflected in what is being built. So I have been very passionate and adamant in involving women at all levels. Back in 2015, 2016, when I was one of the few women around, it was not so shocking to have to be the one of the few women because I'm considered more technical. And back then, the focus was entirely on technical topics. So you can't expect everyone to participate in the conversation, but I do think that it has evolved to a point where every input besides the technical input is critical and valuable. And so there are many avenues that people can contribute. And women in general tend to pursue less technical roles, but just because they're not pursuing technical roles doesn't mean that their input is not valuable. If you're doing a consumer-facing role, a user-facing role, and you're interacting with the people that are going to be using the technology your input is so valuable. And so one of the things that a huge area of opportunity in this space is user experience design, which is one of the things that I focus on because I want to be able to simplify the technology so that anyone can participate. But first, we need to build it. And even when you're building, you need to have considerations. How would this be looked at by somebody that is engaging with the product? Would it deter you from participating? So that's an aspect that's like a little difficult to juggle, but I do think that there are many opportunities for women to get involved. And I have personally been meeting with people individually to walk them through things step by step. I have organized multiple meetups in Miami specifically for women to gather in a safe environment where they can feel that they can talk to each other, not excluding the men necessarily, but telling them like this is meant to be an environment where women can engage and comfortably ask questions because that's often what they say to me. They're like, I don't feel comfortable asking my question. I'm a little bit intimidated by the presenters. So I can I ask you instead. And I understand where that fear comes from because I've also been there when I first started. I was like, should I even raise my hand here or should I just go and read it later and then find out more? So I understand that. And I do think that there are now more women getting involved and more women are doing like this many communities to help one another. Like 
lean circles, like lean in circles, where they're actually engaging with each other and being practical. And it's not just a theoretical conversation, but actually something that's tangible. Mm, I love everything you said so much. I think it's just so important. So if you're a woman and you're listening to this podcast and you're not in the crypto space yet at all, what would you recommend to a woman who's interested in starting her first education, her first investment? And I'm going to preface by saying neither Maru nor I are financial advisors. Please always do your own research. But I love kind of hearing like what your advice would be to somebody who's a total newbie who's just getting started. Well, I would tell you not to do what I did, which was try to learn everything. Because (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know that feeling. It's like, what, four hours? And I, I only just scratched the surface of that thing. Okay, tomorrow we'll do it again. Yes, I completely get you. Exactly. There's so many avenues. So I would say first start with like understanding what it is that you're passionate about. If you're interested in just the finance route, there's many economists, many traders, many legitimate financial advisors that you can follow on Twitter, that you can follow on Medium that give you a lot of suggestions. If you're interested in technical roles, if you want to become a blockchain developer, there's multiple academies that you can learn from to learn from all kinds of protocols. If you're interested in other aspects of blockchain, whether it's design or marketing, community management, there are a lot of opportunities for you to engage in those activities through what they call DAOs. DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations. And there's a lot of organizations that are basically incentivizing people to participate actively and try out and learn new skills and give them monetary rewards for those contributions. So it's not just that you are spending your time. Time is money. Time is valuable. And you are doing this for yourself. So I would say just dive in into whatever area you're interested in. Like look online on Twitter, who are the influencers associated with that? And I'm not just saying like, influencers, the ones that promote, but like influencers, the ones that are working in those roles. Like if you're interested in tech, follow the CTOs of the top exchanges. You'll see that other opportunities, the algorithm will suggest other personalities that will help you understand mm-hmm. the space more. So it really depends what your interests are. And But I think that Twitter is a good beginning strategy to follow the people that are actively working on these protocols. And also there's a lot of educational content. I wouldn't go to YouTube so much. I feel like YouTube has a lot of scammers and a lot of, I don't know, like it's not like valuable education. I feel like it's more like superficial education. I don't know. That's just my biased perspective. This show accepted, I'm sure. But yes, (laughs) I totally get you. I agree. There's a lot. They say that the people who are really shilling and shilling, you know, just promoting the coins or whatever on YouTube, it's like, if you have that much money, like, why are you on YouTube promoting your coin? Right. So I think that it really does need to be taken with a grain of salt. And I think Twitter is absolutely one of the best places that I mean, I came back to Twitter after almost a 10 year absence to start the goddess of crypto Twitter account because I wanted to see what was going on. And, you know, now if I'm doing my research, the very first place that I go to is I'll enter whatever like that coin's name is, or I'll enter the name of the person or whatever it is I'm trying to vet in Twitter and I'm researching, you know, hundreds of tweets, but you can scroll really fast to get that basic information. I think that's really super helpful. And Medium is a good resource as well. A lot of people use Medium 
Twitter and Telegram as ways to communicate to their audiences. And the only problem with that is getting scammed because somebody sends you a direct message. So I would just say like flat out, like I have somebody who just reached out to me today in one of my women in crypto groups, sent me a direct message. My hackles are automatically up. Once in a blue moon, you get somebody who's so new. They're like, I don't know that we're not supposed to do this. But when they say like, hey, I just want to share information. And then they're like, hey, you should come to this group. It's inevitably going to at some point down the road, turn into a scam and you need to just like block them and get off of it. But other than that, if it's one way, like you absorbing information as opposed to you giving out any details about you, it's a really, really great, great place. All those places that we just talked about are really great places to do your research. Community is very powerful. So if you are in channels, whether they're in Discord or in Telegram or in Signal or whatever, use the public channels to engage so that you can have some sort of like policing activity within the channels, right? The moderators of the channels are going to say, this is not correct. This is not relevant. This person is a scammer or whatever, usually. So it's best to engage in a public setting where multiple people in the community can help you with the answers that you're seeking. Mm -hmm. Just be careful in general, talking to everybody right now, because I've seen just, you get to the point where you can identify the scams mostly, but I just followed a like 20 post thread on Twitter of a guy who was super high up, like totally in the technology space and was running a business and got offered a partnership. And he basically unpacked over this 20 thread post that it was, it turned out to be a scam. And if he hadn't been super, super careful, people kept like, they were sending him stuff, but he had to give his wallet address to do it. And Mm -hmm. he used a clean wallet, a wallet that had nothing else on it. But he went in and looked at the code and the code was designed to be able to heist everything from the wallet. And he was so shocked because of course, being in the space 100% of the time, he's like, well, how could this happen to me? And, you know, a lot of people like you get comfortable enough and you think that and I've watched friends get scammed out of a lot of money. And hey, you know, I talked about this story already at least once. But, you know, I've been a party to rug pulls myself. I've lost whole bitcoins, multiple bitcoins. It's very sad, but, you know, you learn. It's the cost of learning sometimes to lose an opportunity. And then there's always another one, especially during the wild, wild west of crypto. So, Mato, I have one more question for you. And that is, what's one more thing that you would like our listeners to know? If you haven't come to Miami, you really should. (laughs) (laughs) I so agree. (laughs) Community is growing tremendously. Everyone from all over the world is coming to Miami because Miami has become somewhat of a safe haven during the conditions globally. And the Grain Collective is really experimenting and they're collaborating and everyone wants to support each other. So if you're looking for an environment where you want to go ahead first and you want to engage with the community members in person and online and build together, Miami is the place for that. So that's what I would say. And hit me up because I can hook you up in Miami. (laughs) Oh, you sure can. And you've already hooked me up and you've already been like a really big influence on me. So I'm very, very grateful to you for that. And I love being here. I cannot tell you how happy I am that I'm in Miami now that the I mean, I was happy here before, but now that crypto has come to Miami, it's amazing. And the Miami mayor, uh, Mayor Suarez is a president of the US Mayor's Association. 
but he's pretty much also the president of like crypto forever because we were the first city coin that's been out there and he is like the earliest of early adopters. And it's really interesting to watch some of the high tech companies move, if not to Miami per se, at least to the whole corridor between Palm Beach and Miami, which they have now dubbed Wall Street South because there are big finance companies that are actually moving their significant staff here. And I just think that's so cool. I can't wait to see what the next five years are going to look like. It's going to be amazing. I'm I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a lot of opportunities for people to get involved. And like Miami has not been historically well known for having compensation that was competitive with the likes of New York and San Francisco. But I honestly think that's going to change. The housing prices with it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So come now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Help drive the prices up. <laughs> Maru, if people want to get a hold of you, I know we'll post all of your links in the blog post and also in the show notes of this episode. But if you could just say what your Twitter handle is out loud for people, that would be grand. You can find me in all social media under Maru Mover, M-A-R-U-M-O-V-E-R. Excellent. And you are quite the mover in crypto. So I'm so grateful that you paused, took a sacred pause for a little while to come as a guest on the podcast. Thank you. Very grateful. I'm so happy to see you being proactive and engaging with the community and teaching and sharing your knowledge, because really that is how you make a difference individually. So thank you for your time and thank you for your dedication. Thank you so much. If you have enjoyed this episode of Goddess of Crypto, please like and comment and subscribe. And most importantly, share with other women. As you share this information with women and they share it with other women, so we empower all women to come into this space and to start to see and take advantage of the fact that the financial future is female. Thank you so much. Until next time on Goddess of Crypto. Every week, transformational wealth coach Hallie Evelyn leads a conversation that helps to ensure that women everywhere can learn to surf the coming tsunami of the new energy of money. You can find her at goddessofcrypto.me. That's goddessofcrypto.me. Be sure to subscribe to Goddess of Crypto on your favorite platform or watch the show on YouTube. And remember, wealth isn't just your privilege, it's your right. Right.